0: You guys can be seated. Thank you. Happy New, year. Happy, New year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year? How many of you are ready for a 2017 that was going to be much better than 2016? For some of you, that is the best news you've heard all year already. Man, let's, have, uh, let's just trust that God's going to do some amazing things in our life. We have no idea what this holds um, if you are new here, or if you're um, just kind of remembering in this new year, there's so much that happens over the holidays we forget, don't we? We had meetings in, before Christmas, and I was like, we talked about that? I don't remember. There's a lot that's happened since Christmas. Um, but we're in a Luke project. You guys remember Luke? Yeah, we've been working through Luke, uh, just chapters and verses at a time even, and we are picking back up the, the Luke project, and today we are at one of the, my favorite sections— and uh, as Charlie and I looked at this, Charlie said, you know, let's, let's stop and make this um, kind of a special moment. Let's, let's break this section up. And so, the next couple weeks, four or five weeks, I think, um, it's going to be about the, some amazing parables that Jesus teaches about a lost son, a lost sheep, and a lost coin. And um, so, I, I would encourage you to, to check this. And we have the podcast. For those of you who don't know about our app, we have an Orchard app on your smart, smartphone. Go to uh, search Orchard Life. And you can download our app and have access to the Bible in any translation and our sermons in any translation. So the New Year, <laughs> I, I always start off with the New Year rough with the jokes, but it does, as you know, it just picks up, it gets better, it gets better, I promise. Okay, so we're talking about, the, about parables today. Jesus is gonna gonna speak to us in parables, and a parable is a very unique way of teaching. It's a story he tells, and the reason it's unique, it allows every listener to enter in. It doesn't matter what position you are, when he tells a parable, it challenges you to put yourself in the story. And the ironic part is oftentimes we put ourselves in the story of the person who's doing really well. But a parable has so many layers that you can put yourself in any number of places and feel God's conviction as he speaks truth to you. And he would often use parables, and one reason he uses parables is because uh, story wins, they say. Story wins. Whoever has the greatest story wins. And he would tell parables because in these stories would be moved, challenged, convicted, but also we remember them. We remember stories, don't we? Yes? It's just the way we are, and so Jesus would speak to us in these parables. Now in this parable there's a, that I would tell today, there's a few different people listening, there's the tax collectors and there's the sinners. Ooh. Now, if it was, you know, that's the kind of the, oh no. Tax collectors. Now, we, is anybody, I, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I hope, well, I don't hope nobody. If you work for the IRS or a tax collector, we love you. We really do. The tax collectors that are mentioned in the Bible are not like you at all, I'm I'm certain. The tax collectors in the Bible are a much different type that we're going to talk about more later. But we have the sinners and the tax collectors, then we have the Pharisees, and these are these religious leaders, the religious elite. These men had grown up from a young age learning the Torah, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and in fact, to be an expert on the law or a Pharisee, you had to have it memorized. I don't mean kind of memorized. I mean you start a verse and they will finish it from anywhere in the Old Testament. And there was no number holders like chapter four, verse 12, none of that. They just knew it, it was their life. They knew the word Old Testament from beginning to end and all the intricacies in there. So we have the Pharisees, the religious elite, who are often the ones that Jesus is having conflict with, which is the irony, and then we have Jesus. Now before we really get into this, I wanna read you something, before we get into Luke, I wanna read you something that's far away from Luke. Six hundred years before this parable, something was given to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel said something. Because see, when Jesus would begin to speak, if you had a if you were a Pharisee or even one of just the, the townspeople, they grew up with the Torah. They grew up knowing this. Even those who did not become Pharisees or religious experts. The Torah was their textbook. It's how they learned. And so everybody had a kind of a working understanding of the Old Testament. So when Jesus or somebody would begin to speak and he would mention something like sheep, well, in the minds of many people would go off these different light bulbs of, about David and, and, and the Lord is my shepherd and, and all these different things from the Old Testament. And As Jesus begins to tell this parable, the Pharisees have to see that he's referencing something that adds to the parable for them. And it had to be severely convicting. Jesus is going to tell a parable. Here's what it says in Ezekiel 600 years prior. Ezekiel 34. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Now is he talking about the shepherds, people who watch the sheep? He's talking about those religious leaders who watch the flock of God. He's talking to the shepherds, the spiritual shepherds. He says, woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who take care of only yourself. Should not the shepherd take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And the Pharisees piled upon the people all these different laws. So when the sheep scattered because there was no shepherd, it became food for wild animals. God said, my sheep wandered all over the mountains and high hills. They were scattered and no one searched for them. And this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen them. The weak. He tells that in Ezekiel, God speaks that. And when Jesus stands up and delivers this parable, it had to resound in the hearts and minds of the Pharisees. Six hundred years prior he had said that. And Jesus stands up and gives a parable fulfilling this. It says this. Verse 1, chapter 15 of Luke. Now, tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. In the Middle Eastern context, honor was often tied with who you dined with and who you hung out with and who you hosted and who you were around. Your honor was reflected by the people around you. So stop for one minute and look and see who's next to you on both sides. That's about how much honor you have today. (laughs) Some of you were in real trouble. It's Chris Benson back there. Okay. Okay. I mean, and so if you, if you spend time with, with sinful people, that says something about you. We already know about those people, but if, oh, did you see who he was with? It says something about you. Nowadays, who we eat with and who we're around, it doesn't really, uh, we get to eat with who we like, don't we? Even if they're kind of a little bit different, except for on holidays, that we have to eat with people we don't like. But for the most part... <laughs> We get to eat with, with, and spend time with who we like, but make no mistake, Jesus dining and hanging out with tax collectors and, and, and sinners was a very, very clear statement. See, he has a lifestyle of loving those that the religious leaders say is unlovable and untouchable. Shame was contagious back then. If you did something that was shameful and you did it, but I was seen with you, I, I caught the shame. It was contagious. So Jesus is there just hanging out with shameful people, according to these religious leaders. Now, tax collectors, let me, I, I mentioned them earlier. Let me just give you a short illustration to reframe who they are. So tax collectors, we know they're terrible, uh, it, but, but let me just give you how terrible. Go with me right now. Imagine with me that an occupying terrorist force has now come in and conquered us, all of us in, this area, in our area codes in your community. Okay, terrorists, occupying. And they want to start extracting taxes from our people, but they don't know who makes what. They don't even actually know the people. They just occupied. So they come to your house and they say, hey, listen, you know the people. We have an offer for you. We'll pay you a a really good sum if you will go and collect the taxes from the people around you, your family, your friends, that you know they should pay and bring them back to us. And, And by the way, anything you collect over that, just keep it. Now, with an offer like that, would it be kind of hard to accept? I couldn't accept. You want me to go extort taxes for the terrorist organization uh, from my friends and family? I'm, I'm good. But, but if someone did that, what would we feel about them? They come to your house. Knock, knock, knock. How do you feel about that person? See, tax collectors betrayed their people. They betrayed their families. They betrayed their friends. They're working for the enemy. And so it says when Jesus is with tax collectors, the reason it sets them aside is because they are set aside. Oh my goodness, he's eating and drinking with those people. It says in verse two, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, these experts, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now he welcomes sinners? This is a whole nother level. So he, it's like, did he host meals for them? We know that Jesus didn't really have a house. He says later he had no place to lay his head. So, but was he, was he at the house of somebody who was one of his disciples? Was he saying, let's, let's call the people in? I can almost see him at the door welcoming these tax collectors in. And as the Pharisees are watching this, he welcomes tax collectors. The shame upon Jesus. Does he even know what he is doing? Does he have any clue what kind of people these are? So they mutter these things about them. Verse three. So, so they mutter that. They say, does he... Does he He's eating and welcoming with these these sinful people. And then in verse three, it says, Jesus told a parable. So what's he telling the parable in context of? The tax collectors, the sinners, and the statements by these Pharisees. He's telling this parable in that moment. It says over and over that Jesus knew the the words of their heart. He knew the thoughts of their heart. And so when they mutter these words, and he he goes, let me just give you a parable. Let me say something to you so we, around him, we have these tax collectors. We have these sinners and we have the Pharisees and we have the experts in the law and his disciples. Verse four, suppose one of you has a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So he starts with the shepherd story. Um, did you know shepherding, they were a class below the Pharisees as well. So this is an interesting parable he's already kicking off with. Uh, okay, a shepherd's story about some sheep, and there's a hundred sheep, which means that whoever this person is is, is kind of wealthy, and, and one of 100 is missing. That's okay, right? Like, really, let's just put this down. That's okay, right? 100 sheep, one goes missing, eh, rough day. Well, hey, the nature of sheep is this, and there's, there's teachings on this anywhere if you want to go find it. The nature of sheep is If a sheep goes astray, it will not survive. It cannot survive. There are no sheep in the wild, there's no like wild (laughs) sheep. Okay? You don't happen upon them. Now we know here there's there's rams and bighorn sheep and those kind of different breeds, but 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 the ba ba sheep, they don't have the the tusks and fangs and you know all those things that keep them alive. No, but they, they are helpless, they will not survive. If one sheep goes missing, You count that sheep as dead. It will not find its way back. It can't help itself. It cannot defend itself. They're not the most swift animal, they have no defenses. Sheep's dead. So one is gone. We have 99 safe. Surely that's okay, right? Well, that all depends upon one thing the nature of the shepherd. It all depends on. That one sheep, and and, and, and if it's okay that it's gone, all that depends on is the nature of the shepherd. And Jesus is about to say something here in this parable. Make no mistake, it's a parable. He's about to speak about the nature of God. He's about to show us something about the heart of the divine, the character of the Almighty, God himself. How does the shepherd respond? Well, in John 10, Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. And it is based on that goodness that Jesus responds. I want to be very clear here. What's about to happen is based on the shepherd's goodness, not the sheep's. The shepherd's goodness, not the sheep's badness. Not even the sheep's goodness. There's nothing of the sheep that is involved in this. It's the nature of the shepherd that makes this parable work. Out of God's goodness, the good shepherd responds, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't even own the sheep. And the hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand's not going after the one. But he says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life. The hired hand goes, 99 is good enough. The hired hand says, I have 99 problems, but that sheep ate one. But Jesus says, Jesus says, not, not for me. I'm the good shepherd. And based on my goodness, I will respond. He is not okay with one missing. He, it says he knows their names, he knows his flock, he knows which sheep is missing. So that's gonna gonna motivate him. Now, this sheep, like we said, is gonna die. And Jesus knows this sheep. The sheep has gone off and it's gone missing and the shepherd is about to go look for it. But I wanna step out of the parable real quick and pause. The areas in your life where you, you go astray The areas in your life where you wander into sin, into those places where you are not proud of yourself, where you do feel shame. I know it's not fun to think of those things, but in those things, if I were to ask you, how does God feel about you in that? In light of the things that you do that wander and and, and get you lost and take you out, and, and a lot of the things that make you feel guilt and shame, if I was to ask you what God's face looks like when it comes to his feelings toward you in that, what would you think? Not good. I, I, I mean, I struggle with this. Not good. He's, he's definitely not happy with me. And in fact, if, 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 if I'm lost and, and I'm wandering off and doing this stuff or whatever, they, whatever yours would be, whatever mine is, and God, I think of what would God think of me and I think of God's face, it's probably angry, right? Right? Disgusted? There you go again. You, you just can't stay with, the, you just can't do what's right. You all, well, you're always, th- what are the things that you feel when you think of God finding you when you wander or the way he feels about you in your wandering? It's interesting to think about those things. God's face, what would it look like? Because again, this, this passage about, is about the nature of God. And it says this, that he goes off and he looks for the sheep. Doesn't he go off and look for the sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he looks down his nose with, with shame and scorn and says, how dare you go wandering? Is that what it says? No. That's what we feel. That's what I feel. That when God finds me in my wandering, he's not pleased with me. It says in verse 5, when the shepherd finds his sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, can you imagine him finding the sheep, maybe caught in some bushes, maybe just out there oblivious, maybe wounded, but unable to help itself? He finds the sheep and he doesn't pull out a switch and a scowl and get it back to the flock like this. He doesn't, he doesn't whip it back. He doesn't speak down to it. You're always going missing. I'm always having to come after you. I'll bring you back in the next. Oh, I'm tired of this. What does he do? <laughs> He picks up the sheep and puts it over his shoulders. He joyfully puts it over his shoulders. They put that word in there. He joyfully puts it over his shoulders. I I can imagine when he finds the sheep, there's no harsh words, there's words of celebration and comfort. There you are. Oh, he says the sheep's name, Fluffy. (laughs) Whatever. (coughs) And he puts it over his shoulder. And what does the sheep do? It just squirms. It's amazing to me. This is the nature and heart of our God. When he finds those who are far from him, he doesn't find them with a scowl and a switch and shame and guilt. He joyfully picks them up. And he does what we cannot do. He rescues us. This is about the nature of God. We need to see him for who he is here. He picks us up. He speaks soothing w- words to us. This past summer, I was in Santa Fe with my entire family and um, we were in the middle of town square. It's all grass. There's a lot of little shops around, lots of people, musicians, I don't know if you've ever been down there. It was pretty packed. And my son, the the competitor, is racing his cousin around the fountain thing and I'm talking to my sister-in-law and we're having so much fun. And for No time at all. I'm talking to her and I look back and my son did not come around the statue. And I go, Where's Eli? And we, you probably say that a thousand times a day. Uh, I, not where's Eli? Where's, if you have a child, where's, you know, um, where's Eli? And and we go, we we still have the, where'd he go? Where is he? And we start looking around and the smile. No, really, where's Eli? Called my brother, David, have you seen Eli? Where, where is he? And, and so 30 seconds goes by. A minute goes by. And these minutes are excruciating. Five minutes goes by. By this time, my brother and I are sprinting around the grass area. And it became obvious to me he's not in the grass, which is big, and that's where we are. He's not here. My mind is now racing with okay, he's not in the grass. I'm now looking down streets and alleys to see if there's some random person holding a kid's hand leading them off. And all these thoughts are going through my head. Where's my son? Where is he? We cannot find him anywhere in this square. Will I ever see him again? A long time passed, not three days, but you know, five to seven minutes. And I hear my brother yell my name with the voice that lets me know I found it. He goes, Daniel! And I immediately know, and I sprint over there. Eli was behind a tree, carotting it or something. And I go over there, and I see him, and I don't say, Eli, how dare you? How could you, how could you dare wander off? I ran to my son. <laughs> I picked him up, and I held him. I said, my son, buddy. <laughs> and he has no clue. He's like, Dad. I'm so intense all of a sudden. You're so weird. I'm like, buddy, oh, I love you. Oh, I thought I'd lost you. Oh, buddy, I love you so much. We can have to talk about wandering off in a second, but I just love you so much. Oh, buddy, don't tell your mom. Oh, <laughs> oh my intensity for him at that moment. My son, I found you. Oh, I thought you were gone. You wandered off. I've never felt that feeling when I couldn't find him before my life. But I found him. And the joy that I felt as I picked him up in my arms. Should I be angry at him? He wandered off. He was three. Should I be angry at myself? Let me just tell you something. Kids do what kids do. And sheep do what sheep do. And humans do what humans do. But God does what God does. He finds us. Comes after us. He pulls us into his arms and says, Buddy, buddy, my daughter, sweetie, you wandered, but I found you. No shame, no guilt. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. The good shepherd, he could have stopped there in the story, but he doesn't. Jesus just keeps going. The good shepherd is so excited, he brings the sheep back joyfully on his shoulders. When he gets back, it says in verse six, and he goes home, he calls his friends and neighbors together. He calls a party, come to my house. And he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. He calls a party and he says, rejoice with me, I've found my sheep. Do you see the heart of God, how much value he places? This is a parable about a sheep and a shepherd, but it shows the value that God places upon his people. That He calls a party and says, rejoice with me, for my son, my daughter, my sheep wandered, but I found them. The nature of God just screams out, yes! Gather around my sheep is found. It says this in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven, more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who do not need to. Now that's interesting. More rejoicing over the one who wandered and repented than the 99 who didn't need to, who who were living righteously. How much does God value repentance? Repentance is turning from the way you were going and, and turning and coming his way. How much does he value it? Enough to leave 99. I to throw a party. Enough to go seek and find. God says, come back to me. And maybe today you are here just to hear this. Come back. Repent. Your father loves you. His face is full of a smile for you. And he says, come home. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing you. I'm going to lift you out of this onto my shoulders. I rejoice that you are found. The lost sheep can represent the sinners and tax collectors that he was spending time with. This is easy, right? They're sitting there listening to this going, oh, right. To the Pharisees, they just got done grumbling. He he eats and welcomes these sinners. And Jesus Jesus says, it's worse than that, guys. It's worse than that. I don't just eat with them. I go and find them. I'm going where they are. It's it's worse than you think, Pharisees, you religious guys. I'm going after these people. And I just want to, okay, so in this parable, what did the sheep do? The one sheep, what did it do that was so, so awesome? Let's just, let's put ourselves, what do we have to be proud of in this story for the sheep? What did the sheep do? I wandered off, it got lost. It got helpless and it was defenseless and it, it ran away, away from the shepherd's voice that it knows. It got maybe injured. It was unable to save itself. And then when it was found, it did what a sheep does and it got put on somebody's shoulders and maybe squirmed. The sheep did nothing. Nothing. This is a parable about the nature of our Father. A God who comes and finds us. But When we are unable to save ourselves. And sin and vice and addiction and fear and drift and wandering. He is a God who comes and pursues us and seeks us and finds us and brings us the freedom and forgiveness we cannot bring ourselves. That's the nature of our God. He does for us what we cannot do. Now, Jesus could have very easily just stopped there. Point taken. Point taken. We get it, the sheep didn't do anything. It's all you. But he, he has another one, he, he has another parable. Verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Completely a shift in, in everything. And he just, he, he's taking these hard corners for the, for the Pharisees to try to follow. First it was the shepherd who was below them. Now it's a woman who, they're gonna have a lot of problems thinking, okay, and now I'm a, a woman who loses a coin. Am I the coin? Am I the woman? Like how do we put ourselves into this parable? There's a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Now there's a lot of ideas on what this may mean but let's just go with the fact that she has 10 coins. She's not wealthy. A silver coin is a drachma and the value of drachma varied over the time of history but during the time of Jesus it was about a denarius which was a day's wages. This is 10 days wages. So they got paid daily. So she saved up 10 days. Not 10 months, not 10 weeks, not a, not a month, 10 days. Do you see some of the poverty here? I mean, I mean, losing this coin would have been a lot to her. It says, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Another indicator of her poverty is that the home is dark and windowless. Many of the smaller homes, and I went and looked at these models and what they would look like, and, and it, it is, it is, it resembles more of a, I guess the tiny homes now they're all cool, like they were on cutting edge back then. Okay? It's a new thing. Um, she, she lights a lamp. And this wasn't a big oil lamp like we see, you know? Like she opens the shutter of it. No, 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 that's not like that. It's a little tiny lamp and she, it's a little flame and she has it out like this. And then she gets her broom and, and she's, she's sweeping it under things. She's sweeping the house, but putting it under to hear the jingle like this. She, this, is, this is not a, a grand search party. But she is searching fervently. See, this is, a, this, this is you with your cell phone screen on dim, okay? On your hands and knees, thrusting a broom under something, trying to hear the jingle of a coin. It's like, it's, you're down in it. You're looking everywhere for it. We can't let this image pass us by because, see, the, the Pharisees are hearing and seeing what Jesus is saying about God, what he's saying about himself. See, Jesus doesn't just eat with sinners. No, he lights a lamp. He gets on his hands and knees. He looks through the whole house. He cleans it. He clears it. He doesn't just stick to the clean, nice places. No, he goes to where it's dirty, where it's unclean. He searches high and he searches low to find those that are lost and bring them back. And he's saying, What about you, Pharisees? What about you, religious people? Are you searching at all? Are you searching at all for those who are lost? Are you looking under the cushions where the food and the moldy crumbs are? Or are you looking down forgotten alleyways? Are you looking at the, the places that are unclean in your city and your towns? Or are you simply waiting in your clean religiosity in lit rooms hoping the lost find themselves and find themselves to you? Pharisees, what are you doing? He's asking them. Because I on my hands and knees searching through everything, searching anywhere for those that are lost. He would say, Pharisees, are you just looking for those that are like you? The kingdom of God doesn't look for those that are like you. The kingdom of God looks for those that are lost. It says this in verse nine. Well, it says she doesn't, she doesn't stop until she finds it. Much like, the, much like the good shepherd, they keep searching until the search is over. And when she finds her coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've lost my coin. Wouldn't you assume she would quietly go, oh, oh, thank you, and just put it back? Wouldn't you agree that the embarrassment would be something that would deter her from, I I lost a coin? She doesn't. See, there comes a point when something is so valuable that the embarrassment of losing it is far below the joy of finding it. That's value. And she says, Every, she says, come, come celebrate with me. Jesus says in verse 10, in the same way, I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this is so awesome. Like, I love this. We often read this and we go, okay, the angels rejoice when a sinner repents. But look at it again. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. Who are the angels in the presence of? Who are the angels in the presence of? The God, the Lord. It says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. They are up in the heavenlies with him. And it's as if the Father rejoices when, listen, there is a, in the heavenly realm, in the eternal realm, God's voice booms out and shakes the angels. Yes! Yes! My son is found. There is much rejoicing. My daughter, she was lost and she's found. And there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. That is God's voice. His roar fills his throne room when a repentance happens in the heart of one of his children. When one who is lost is found, he rejoices. This is the presence of the Father. This is the nature of who he is. Oh, man, what did the coin do? What did the coin do? Nothing. Nothing. What's Jesus trying to say here? Again, it's not about the shame of being lost. It's not the shame of falling and rolling. It's not the shame of wandering. Listen, coins do what coins do. Kids do what kids do. Sheep do what sheep do. Humans, we do what humans do. But remember, God does what God does, and he seeks those who are misplaced, who are discarded by life, who've wandered, he finds them, he seeks them. What overriding emotion does God say here about his nature? What overriding emotion is is involved in these two parables? When we think of shame and wandering, we we think of wandering and being lost and drifting in sin, we think of shame and guilt. And these parables are full of the natures of God and his love for us, his joy for us, his grace for us. We learn about who God is through this parable. Orchard, this is why salvations and baptisms just matter so much to God. This is why when we have a baptism up here, when someone turns to Jesus, we should erupt and celebrate and echo the roar of heaven Charlie has often said that the baptism, baptism is our scoreboard. That, that, that's, that's when we, God moves in salvations and baptisms and we need to echo his, his, his celebration in that. And, and actually we've, so this is the year of baptism, right? The year of baptism. We would see a tangible um, move in people to, to obey him in baptism after following him into salvation. And this year, could be your year I just want to say to make this personal if you have resolved to follow Jesus in your life if you've resolved that and if as an adult and have not yet been baptized this this should be your year God invites us to follow him in baptism a tangible symbol of saying I once was lost but now I'm found I am repenting and following him in obedience and baptism Maybe um, you've been putting this off for decades. Maybe it's been so long it just feels weird to even do it now. Maybe you've been putting it off for months, but, but I would encourage you, if you are hearing this and you have not been baptized and you have received Jesus, this is your year. This is your time. Come talk to Charlie. Come talk to myself. But let's, let's follow God in this way, and let's, let's celebrate these wins as we see God changing the hearts of, of our people. And men and women, and if you believe God is angry at you, you've bought a lie. He loves you so much that he sent his own son Jesus not just to be born for you at Christmas but to die for you. The nature of God is love. He sent his son to face the shame and guilt so that he has zero left in the bag for you when he finds you and you've wandered off. The good shepherd does not come to condemn you. He wants to tenderly place you on his shoulders and take you back to his peace. If you're here today and you don't even know Jesus yet as your savior, you have not resolved in your heart to follow him. You don't know if you, I have not resolved that yet. You need to know this, he, he, he pursues you. Not with a switch and a scowl, but with love, with open arms and a smile of joy. He pursues you, and he might is even, he's even pursuing you to this place now in, in, in earshot of my voice to let you know once again, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. All is forgiven. in my son Jesus, all is forgiven. So we have these two parables, and the lessons are many, but let's look at a few. The message is twofold for the people who were listening, the sinners and the tax collectors. Could you imagine them sitting there hearing this They have the religious elite over there looking down at them. They have this rabbi who speaks life and heals people and he begins to tell them about the lost. He says this, listen, there's there's hope for you that God searches for you. He tells them the shocking truth that you have worth and you have value even when society and religion has told you you have none. He tells them this amazing truth. He tells them the jaw-dropping insight into God's nature that he loves those and seeks those who don't yet know him. He pursues them and searches for them. And that he desires that all would come to repentance. To the Pharisees and religious, he says this. They would, listen, they would have struggled with this. They would have struggled, really, because one's a shepherd and one's a woman and, and culturally and socially, that, that would not have been something they would have put themselves into. So, so Jesus, what are you saying here? And then there's the, prophet, there's the prophecy from Ezekiel that they have let the sheep go astray and here he is telling that same story So Jesus, who are you saying we are? Jesus, are you saying that we're the coin? Because if I'm the coin, I'm as lost as everybody else. (laughs) and You are, yeah. Are you saying I'm the woman? Well, if I'm the woman or the shepherd, then I I am grossly off of what God would have me do. See, Jesus is telling them right here. He's saying, Pharisees, you lost one. You lost one. Yeah, yeah, you're religiously righteous and you're following the rules and regulations, but you've lost the sheep. You've lost the coin. You've lost the sheep of my flock. I entrusted them to you so you could tend them. And I'm showing you here how to find them, how to go get them in the most unlikely places. I'm showing you. I'm here in front of you modeling how to go find the lost. Join me. And Pharisees, when we find one, when these tax collectors gather around and we find one, let's celebrate. Let's Let's not get angry. And us here today we are each lost sheep and lost coins at some level. We, the truth is we all have fallen short of God's glory and his, his, his desire. We all wander and we're all helpless to save ourselves. We all need rescuing somewhere. Now we might think we're not as bad as those people. That's Pharisee talk. That's Pharisee talk. You, you need a good shepherd. We all need saving. Not only do we need saving into salvation, but after then, we need God to bring us back to repentance. I know some great Christians who evolved way off drift, wandering way off that need the good shepherd again. We constantly and forever will need the good shepherd. God shows us here, listen, listen, sheep. Listen, followers. Listen, believers. There's no shame. There's no shame in being my sheep or the coin. There was no shame for the sheep in the story. There's no shame for the coin. The only shame is being the religious Pharisee. Someone who's too arrogant or blind to even consider the fact that they are in need. And what about us as a church? Who is a church do we most resemble? See, the Pharisees refused to seek those that weren't like them and that were far from God. That we won't, we won't even be seen or we don't want to talk to people of a certain ilk. That we are too good for those that are, quote, too bad. Who are we as a church? Or do we actually believe and, and activate the heart of our vision that says we love God and we love people and there's no asterisk next to people. There's no qualifier, again, of do, like Democrat or Republican. <laughs> that, that there's no affiliation or orientation that they have to be. No, no, no. We love God and we love people. And we take that to heart. All people, all wandering, all lost, everyone. Seeking all who are far from God, whatever their condition, whatever their gender, whatever their color, whatever their political thing, whatever that we go to all. Are we searching and seeking those far from God? Are we content? Are we content because our church is full of nine coins? We got a pretty good church. We We got nine good coins, right? We got 99. We got 99. That's pretty good. May we not be that church that's content to sit on our nine coins and 99 sheep and think we're doing God's work. Let's celebrate what God is doing here, but let's remember that there is one out there. You know why? Because the one matters. The one matters because the one matters to God. Because you were a one. And there's a lot of ones out there that aren't here this morning that don't know God, that are far from him. The ones matter to us because they matter to him. And so us as God's people, when we leave this place, I want to ask, like, does the one matter to you? Will you go? Will you search? Will you follow in the footsteps of the shepherd? And will you go to the one? Will you go seek and find? And will you stop, will you, will you suspend and stop your judgment and bias and instead just respond how he responded, with grace and love and joy when there's repentance? Let's be the church where the one matters, where we're not content with nine coins or 99 sheep because the heart of our Father always says one matters. This morning, church, as we start this new year, let us, let us take fully to heart the vision to love God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love his people, and to not just give it lip service in here, but let us go and live it out there. Let us today be convicted and called to be the good shepherd to somebody who's far from God. Did you know that? That we are now, Jesus isn't here in flesh, but he, his spirit is within us. We now go. We now go in search. And so as we leave this place, we get to go be the good shepherd. This week at your job, your house, wherever you get to be the good shepherd. Let's do that. Let's have eyes to see who has wandered Let's, let's pray father god give me words to say or just tell me father help me empower me to go to all these people that need you but orchard let's be those people if you're here today and you do not know jesus you are unresolved spiritually and i know there are many of you here come with us on this journey as we look at more and more of the nature of god and who he is know that god pursues you Know that he longs to have relationship with you. And know that when he finds you and and, and your heart is found in him, there is no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's forgiveness. And I would encourage you today, if that is you and today you would like to pray with one of us to receive Jesus, to start this journey, I will be up here. Charlie's gonna be up here. Please come talk to us. 2017, this would be a great way to start off your year. But Orchard, let us worship God now, our good shepherd, who found us in, in dark places and lifted us up onto his shoulders. Amen? Amen? As we respond this morning, as we respond, let's respond out of a grateful heart of joy because we're on the shepherd's shoulders. He's found us. As we come and we take communion, our communion is not, um, it actually is, is an open table. Anybody can come take this. This is the symbol of God's, of Jesus' blood that was shed for us on the cross, the symbol of his body that was broken. And as we take this, he says, Do this in remembrance of me. Do this remembering that I am the good shepherd. In John 10, we read, He lays down and sacrifices Himself for His sheep, for you. So as we respond in communion and worship, let us respond out of a grateful heart. We'll have a prayer team on the front, maybe on the sides and back. If you want prayer for anything, anything big or small, please come pray with us. Let me pray for you now. Jesus, We thank you that you are the good shepherd. If we had any idea how many times you have come looking for us, Father, we just fall to our knees and cry. Lord, I, I pray that you would break off that thing in our society, in our humanity, that makes us believe you're angry with us. When you show us over and over that you put us on your shoulders in joy. Father, I pray right now in this room that you would help us respond out of worship with gratitude and praise. And Father, that those who are far from you this morning, if you are far from God this morning, you would come pray. In Jesus' name, amen.